Cohen's to carry in your pocket. Page 75. Once, a long time ago, I went to a Buddhist birthday celebration up in the hills among the redwoods. It was a lovely day and a mournful one. As a friend shared some terrible news, the meditation hall was filled with flowers and petals were scattered everywhere. Some of them found their way into my pockets. That night back home, I inhaled their fragrance. The day returned and I wrote a note to my friend. When I have a question. When is the Buddha's birthday? I don't remember. We do not know. The 8th, December 8th. When people celebrate that, or sometime in early December, right? Well, I mean, in the West. I don't know. I, I never heard it uh, in India. And I was staying in Bodh Gaya. For a long time. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, would they even have like, would the calendar even be the same back then that we have now? Oh, they have different calendars even today. Yeah. So it was only after. Jesus Christ passed or that I do not know exactly. But because the 19th century in Japan, they made April 8th. April 8th. Ah, okay. Well, thank you. So it it could not be uh, actually, if I, if I may still, uh, it could not be uh, what they call in India Isvi, which uh, is for Jesus. So, um, like our calendar that we have. So it could have not been at that time because he, he was almost 500 uh, years before the common era. What, 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 what's interesting to me is um, Trotty's told us that, that they have adjusted the date of the birthday a hundred years right from what mm -hmm. they yes mm -hmm. it used to be 500 years before christ and now it's 400 is that well it's uh 480 something and it, what what was it before believe it was it was 500 i, I don't remember now since it moved <laughs> uh, but we call usually that uh buddha I mean, was born in the uh, 6th century, so it would be 500-something. In, in the old days. So here it says 563 B.C. But, yes, well, but that is... current thinking is more in the 400s. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But then not everybody may accept it. I accept it, Trotty. <laughs> There is nothing I can do about that. It's just <laughs> what I heard. We could twist their arms. Till they oh, I see. Oh, I just saw a cat okay. settling in on chest. <laughs> and I have one behind me. She's pushing me out of the chair. Very sorry. Oh. Um, so it's Cody and then JK. Jess. Okay. 
there are some koans or pieces of koans that don't weigh much and are both easy to remember and fragrant. They float free of any particular culture. You can repeat them as you go through your day, or you can bring one to mind in a particular situation that seems to call for it. Here are a few to start with. You're bound to discover your own. What is this? This is the ancient all-purpose inquiry. There's a significant difference in how you approach something depending on whether you're asking what or why. If the question comes with a charge, what in the name of all that's holy is this? Try asking the same thing without the charge. What in the name of all that that's holy is this? Oh, you can ask this throughout the day about nothing in particular, staying with the warmth and curiosity of the question rather than looking for an answer. There's a connection between what is this and the walking around questions in practices of the night. Am I awake? Am I dreaming? How do I know? Any comments? Can you read it again, please? How about someone else read it and get hear it in a different voice? Um, Trotty, would you like to read it? This is the ancient all-purpose inquiry. There is a significant, significant difference in how you approach something depending on whether you are asking what or why. If the question comes with a charge, what in the name of all that's holy is this? Try asking the same thing without the charge. What in the name of all that's holy is this? Oh, you can ask this throughout the day about nothing in particular, staying with the warmth and curiosity of the question rather than looking for an answer. There is a connection between what is this and the walking around questions in practices of the night Am I awake? Am I dreaming? How do I know? It seems that the the um, the essence really is in this, isn't it? Yeah. Staying with the question rather than going to the answer. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yes. We wouldn't get cre good credit for that in school, would we? <laughs> yeah, it'd have to be it'd have to be a very unique school <laughs> for them to to be okay with that. Um, but yeah, I remember one uh, retreat 
you know, you'll be like, uh, you know, you, in retreats, like you sit all day and then once or twice a day, they'll give a talk. And it's like a really interesting thing. But so when I, so when they gave the talks, like my mind would just, you know, it's like even more interesting because there's so much silence the rest of the day. So like my mind, I remember just going and going and going and like, and it's just like focused on just these, whatever topics they brought up in the talk. You know, I guess in regular day, there it's just like there's so many different things to. So, anyways, I was like, I was like having trouble sleeping or something, and I was not feeling well. Like my mind was just kind of all, <clears throat> and I um, and uh, Flint, he said, uh, he said, you know, uh, he probably said it much better than this, but he said, you know, it just when when things kind of come to mind, say, I don't know. Say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. There's something about the not knowing, you know. Um, and that did calm my mind. I remember, you know, it really helped a lot. Um, you know, like the, my mind was just searching for a, some theory to connect everything. I'm sure, and um, the not knowing that warmth and curiosity, uh, I think I felt that that time. So you kind of gave a spoiler alert. Yes. For the next one. Uh, Malen, would you like to read? Yes. Not knowing is most intimate. This comes from a koan. This one asked Payan, where are you going from here? Payan said, I'm on pilgrimage. What sort of this, what sort of thing is pilgrimage? I don't know. Not knowing is most intimate. Payan suddenly had a great awakening. Should I stop? Do you want to stop? No, I, I think do the text too. What sort of thing is pilgrimage or doing the laundry or having a difficult conversation if you don't have lots of ideas about it? People of Chan used to greet each other with, I'm not certain, which is an interesting place to start. In Chinese, to become intimate is a synonym of awakening. If you don't have to know, how do things become more intimate? When you want to see things from a fresh perspective, a related pocket con is what is most intimate here. No. 
This comes from a koan too. Well, wait, 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 we should stop here. Okay. Because that's a new koan. But what's most intimate here? That's a good one. I haven't heard that koan. Oh, Flint uh, often uses it. I'm, I, I'm not sure whether we read Fire and suddenly had a great awakening. Did we? You're not sure if who? Um, Fayan, yes, suddenly had a great awakening. The line now on the screen on the top. Yeah. Did we read that? I, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Oh, did she read that? Yes. Yes, it was oh, read. Thank you. Thank you. I, I thought you weren't sure if he had a great awakening. <laughs> we make up so much, don't we? Mm-hmm. You know, like like what things are and why we're doing them. Yeah. And then other people just say, I don't know, because they don't want to um, be wrong. Or they don't want to engage. I mean, I think some people do that just sort of like, it can be like, I don't give a shit, really. It's not necessarily coming from curious uh, inquiry or curious wonder or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, like it's like, you know, I'm on pilgrimage and then, you, you know, we have all these constructs about what pilgrimage means, what retreat means, and all these things. I kind of, you know, sometimes these things feel like uh, you feel a little safe, you know, like, okay, I'm going to do this, this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then I'm going to come home. It's like a feeling of somehow like a safety, just kind of, you know, labeling and putting the name to the thing. And also, like, you know, uh, what what is most intimate? Like when you're just in the space where it's like, I don't know what's gonna happen or what this is or whatever, it can be terrifying. Um, it's not always like intimate. Is yes, it can have some positive connotations, but also it can be like a lot of things that are hard to be intimate with. Well, how is not knowing intimate? I mean, I guess I think that asks you to like be more. Um, when one doesn't know, one isn't sort of falling into mm-hmm. some sort of uh, way you think it's going to be. Like a story, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm imagining like, you know, 
imagine like at work, you know, we have this idea of like, okay, there's a patient, there's a diagnosis. And I've heard a lot of people like, you know, they just go into their spiel and, um, <laughs> a lot of therapists or a lot of uh, clients. Uh, I'm talking about, I don't know, the image I had is like in a medical clinic, you know, like I'm in a medical clinic. And so we have doctors and we give, you know, like medical diagnoses and stuff. And so it's very, like, you can just go on a, you can just kind of go on a spiel and be okay. Like, you know, like you don't have to, I just, I don't know where I was going. I think I was going to the place of like, what would be very intimate is like, well, I don't know what's going to come up here and what they're really wanting. And what this, if I give a diagnosis, what is their reaction and giving a space for that? Like that's actually pretty scary uh, when it becomes more interactive and, and you really- Don't you think the person who's in that situation being labeled a patient or a client, um, they also often have a playbook that they come in from, you know, that that they've like this story they're telling themselves about what's going on to the point where that, you know, the actual what's arising in body and mind can be obscured by what the story is about what's arising, you know? Yeah. Let's. Say that again. I'm just saying that I think, so what I'm hearing you say is in this medical situation, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be wonderful or, or what would it be if, if uh, medical professionals could say, wait a minute, I, I don't, I, I'm not sure about what's going on here. And, you know, just sort of, look a little bit more inquisitively and and but I also think that um the people who are being called patients in that situation or clients um because I know I've done it I mean and I know like just about our various medical situations and why this is happening and the story of the accident and the story of the doctor um, you yeah. know, punching a two inch hole in my bladder during the surgery and the story of the doctor that showed up and saved me. And it's, it's so fucking far removed anymore from, it, it's a story now. And frankly, it's, less intimate and less painful for it to be a story because it becomes like a frozen text in yeah. linguistics and sign language we have certain things we sign that are frozen text and they're always signed a certain way like the star spangled banner you know and uh so mm -hmm. it's it's I mean, there's reasons that that happens, but it it happens from from both sides of the medical equation is all I'm trying to say. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. One of our like most popular physicians 
it's very script-like and I think it creates this sort of sense of safety. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, like the not knowing is very intimate and it's terrifying. Like having a script is like super, it can feel, I know this and that's why I, for myself, like I like certain constructs because it seems safer. It's, that makes sense. Um, you know, yeah, there's, uh, we, I fall into it too. I mean, there's a, there's like a, um, uh, like a, this, uh, dramaturgical approach. Like this guy, Irvin Goffman talked about just like all the world's a stage. It's like a play and we put on these roles and there's some really safety and security and the white coat and things like that. So it's, it's, yeah, I agree. It's, it's coming from both sides and, um, and I think what Milan wrote in the chat is also very, I very much resonate with that, that um, there are so many layers to what this intimate means and it means different things for different people. I just definitely. Okay, I feel like saying no. Okay, no. I'm reading, okay? Yeah, yeah. This comes from a koan too. A pilgrim of the way asks Zhao Zhou whether a dog has Buddha nature. Zhao Zhou replies, perhaps counterintuitively, no. This is a common first koan. So people are often told to say no with every breath throughout the day. This has many uses, including as a concentration practice in which the word no becomes a kind of mantra. Another pocket koani <laughs> way to keep company with it is to go with its counterintuitive quality and say no to every thought and feeling as it arises, not repes- repressively, but simply no. Like Herman Melville's Bartleby by the Scrivener who said, I would prefer not to every time he was asked to do something. Or as a question, no, what would it be like if this thought or feeling didn't have to be inevitable? Would you be surprised to hear that after a while, people report that this no becomes playful and even joyous? And what's fun is in the Rinzai, uh uh tradition you would keep going all day long back to the teacher with your explanation and she would ring a bell which is kind of like no you know maybe before you even entered the room she'd ring the bell and you'd have to turn around and leave it would be that quick so the when i did this um it was the the koan was what is it which is like what is this I don't think I got to, you know, base base one or whatever. Okay, I think Cody is next. No, Trouty is next. Okay. Who's angry, Trouty? Okay, who is angry? Happy, bored. This is an adaptation of the con. Who hears? discussed in the sound of one hand. 
When you react to something, this kind of inquiry interrupts a process you probably know pretty well with an odd question that might shift your perspective. The point isn't to negate the feeling, but to step back and give it a much larger context. Remember the vast and empty source of even a fleeting emotion. How does this who see, uh, how does that who see the situation and what might it be inclined to do? For more, see Koan moves. There's nothing I dislike. This is something. Okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> People might spend a year with this. <laughs> Angry, happy, bored. Mm -hmm. What do you make of this? Oh, boy. This kind of inquiry interrupts a process you probably know pretty well with an odd question that might shift your perspective. Mm -hmm. Point isn't to, to negate the feeling, but to step back and give it a much larger context to remember the vast and empty source of even a fleeting emotion. Yeah, well, Fayan in a way was uh, a kind of an example of this. Say it again, Fion doing what? Well, it could be an example of this. <laughs> mean in the earlier one? Well, just, yeah, maybe a page before that we had. So this is asked Fion, right? <clears throat> okay, there's nothing I dislike. Okay. This is something, this is something Linji, a man of fierce generosity, used to say. What's your first reaction to it? Do you dislike it? What would it be to, to encounter something without immediately having to be for or against? What would it be like to struggle wholeheartedly against something without spending any energy disliking it? Linji also used to say, face the world and go crosswise. Two parts here. See the world, Simone wheels, just in loving gaze. And then if circumstances require, look for the freeing sideways move. That's another way of disliking nothing. And can you just go back to the previous page for a sec? Sure. Can we read it again, please? Sure. Uh, Jess, you want to read? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> There's nothing I dislike. There's nothing I dislike. This is something Linji, a man of fierce generosity, used to say. Uh, what's your first reaction to it? Do you dislike it? 
what would it be like to encounter something without immediately having to be for or against? What would it be like to struggle wholeheartedly against something without spending any energy disliking it? What would it be like to struggle wholeheartedly against something <laughs> against something without spending any energy disliking it? Linji also used to say, face uh, the world and go crosswise. Two parts here. See the world with Simone, Simone Wells, Wells, just a loving gaze. And then if circumstances require, look for the freeing sideways move. See the world and go crosswise. Okay, there's a that's another way of disliking nothing. You know, some say you can be neutral. Yeah, and some say there's no such thing as that. I mean, it's this kind of um, equanimity that's so nuanced. You think it's possible, Nandia, to be neutral? Uh, I don't know. I think it's tricky. Like to notice something, but not to have a feeling toward or against it. I don't know either. I think that can also be really... Yeah, I, I think we're sometimes not honest with ourselves about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like as organisms, she said earlier, as organisms, we something that we have a want to survive. So you're obviously going to prefer environments where, like the organism would, where, you know, we're likely to survive. But then I guess we have this higher thinking that can also see the context of the, there really isn't, there's a interdependence and really isn't just a self. But I don't know, yeah, I don't know if that's completely possible. I had a squirrel the other day that was just watching me and it wasn't running away, it wasn't running somewhere else. and. I kind of had that feeling that I was neutral to the squirrel. I wasn't a threat. You know, it, it wasn't especially curious. It just, I didn't move it. Mm. Thank Fortunately, you. I'm here to do it. What do you mean you're here to do it? I'm sorry, go on, what? What, what do you mean, fortunately, I'm here to do it? That's the con. Oh, sorry, I thought you were still talking about the squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Uh, I thought you were probing him, you know? Like, <laughs> no, because I, to do when, it? when people read, I just like to listen. I'm not looking at the page, so sorry. It's <laughs> all right. Love, grieve, yearn, be frustrated, celebrate, take care of what needs 
taken care of, struggle, have the flu, live a life, die. Fortunately, I'm here to do it. <laughs> this simple phrase stretches from the smallest moments to the largest. It comes from the story <laughs> about two, stu two students of Chan who were great friends. Who are you making tea for? Someone who wants it. Why don't you have them make it for themselves? Fortunately, I'm here to do it. And who or what is that someone who wants it? Hmm. Well, I thought they both knew. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you, Trotty. Uh, I think my Zoom fell out. Well, we see you. Oh, well, the whole page disappeared. Oh, I'm, click, I'm click on the, the Zoom icon at the bottom of your screen. And it will come back. Mm, no, it's it blue. It's a blue square with a little white word in it. Blue square. Oh, yes. Fortunately, you're here to do it. <laughs> I did. Did I? Yes, see? <laughs> uh, that was a very nice opportunity. <laughs> Thank you. All of these, when we first read them, um, you know, take us to a place of confusion, don't they? Yeah. And and that's part of part of it. And then you think at times you get closer, and then you get farther away. It would be like understanding someone else or ourselves. I don't know. I feel like uh, you know, like we'll we'll have this group on Monday and I'll like think think about these sort of things on Tuesday, maybe Wednesday sometimes. And then I just go into the ordinary, <laughs> you know, ordinary way of being or whatever. And uh I I think it is true. Like probably one of these like eight koans that we read today, I could probably just sit with. Um you know, each day and kind of get deeper with it because it's, um, it does hit, you know, there's a, it does something. And there's like, uh, well, Peg tells a story where she was working with the koan about the, the, does a dog have Buddha nature? And she finally gave up. And then she told her teacher, she said, I just cannot do this anymore and the teacher said you've got it <laughs> so so figuring it out is is kind of not the way someone came to koan practice and uh nate was asking you know so notice some things in the koan and this guy had it all figured out and it just you know, and if you have it figured out, especially immediately, something you're not getting it at all, I don't think. Well, it, I feel like it's like if I read it and I 
feel like I got it, it doesn't sink into like an embodied experience. It's like cognitively, I get it, and I just move on. It doesn't, you know, but if it's like something that you can just sit with or just, you know, come back to in everyday moments, then that has like there's something there that's like moving and changing and getting in a deeper state. Um, yeah. It does seem like part of what she's talking about here is like being a companion with the koans. And it feels like part of what you're talking about, Jess, is that as well. And a really good friend, not someone who, who has figured it you out, but someone who just marvels at your um, vastness. feel like it's similar like with um at sometimes with practice discussion the like in the group style because it's like just ordinary stuff but you see it in all these different ways just feels like yeah it feels a little more expansive it's like oh and then it fades away like for me then i just you know i don't know Okay, so who's next? Malen, did you read? Are you afraid of happiness? This happiness? I don't remember who read. Okay, you want to read about are you afraid? Okay. Are you afraid of this happiness? When Siddhartha had nearly died. That, that is okay. Okay, go on. When Siddhartha had nearly died of the harsh austerities, yeah. he subjected himself to in his quest of enlightenment. He remembered a moment from his early childhood when a few moments, for a few moments, he had been left alone on a warm summer day under a sheltering tree. He remembered it as moment without the tension and striving of his current practice, a moment from which nothing was missing. A voice came into his mind asking a quiet, overtuning question. Are you afraid of this happiness? When Siddhartha could say no, he wasn't. He set out on the path that good lead him to the body tree. So the Bodhi tree is where he sat for his enlightenment. Mm -hmm. And where he attained it or where he awoke. <clears throat> And we're going to celebrate that a week from Sunday. How long is his birthday? <laughs> Sorry. How long? 
What do you mean? We're, we're going to celebrate his enlightenment, not his birthday. But the story goes his birth and his oh. enlightenment and his parinirvana and his death all on the same day. So is the story. I don't know that story. Neither do I. <laughs> it's a good one, though. I'll buy it. <laughs> That's probably the terrible for Trouty to hear, where she worked so hard to find the truth to all this. No, I. If we can just, that, yeah, that, that, that is not possible. I'll buy it. That would be absolutely <laughs> futile. It's not very professional, is it, Trouty? Uh, huh. well since since buddhism spread for almost all of asia there is so many variants of buddhism and not to mention the variants that already occurred in india yeah. and it's a good thing that it could be accommodated already into their cultural environment. Of course, sometimes it wasn't really easy. <laughs> I love that question. Are you afraid of this happiness? Yeah, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. I like the you know, like all the striving and the tension and uh, just how that's different from uh, when he was just sitting, you know, in a, as a kid. And is this neutral, a moment without tension? Hmm. A moment from which nothing was missing? Sounds yeah. like a moment when the sort of the hindrances fall away, but that doesn't mean there's no feeling tone. I mean, he says it was pleasant. Well, not in so many words, I guess. I think there was a kind of equanimity that he felt. Exactly rather than joy just like a, a peacefulness yeah but i would say that we really don't have the right word for it in english probably any language oh <laughs> it is an it is a profound experience he remembers I mean, the experience i guess not yeah I mean, at that, at that moment, there won't be any distinguishing whether um, to be afraid of it or to be happy of it. That all dissipates. Yeah. So these are questions when we are in our normal state and maybe struggle with the cons. So then this, this can be a way of 
leading us to try to consider that actually we do these things like being afraid of the of this happiness. I think about uh, what this what this striving and the tension and then uh, I remember that uh, uh, Suzuki uh, quote about he was there was like a day where they were doing a lot of work and moving things from one place to the next and he just kept kept going and kept going and and he was dying. Him. He was dying of cancer. In the story you're telling, I don't know. No, I don't think I'm telling that story. And he was out doing all the young kids and moving rocks. Is that the story? Oh yeah, maybe he was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's Sahara. Yeah, he's out doing the young kids, and they say, "Boy," they asked some kind of question. What was the question they asked? Like, how can you work like this? Yeah, that was the question. And then uh, what did he say? I move one stone at a time or something. He said, I rest in each moment. Yeah, something like that. I yeah. rest in each moment. And that's what this reminds me of is like, yes, it's such a crazy idea that you could be working and going towards something and striving towards something. And also resting in the each moment of that labor uh, is like, I think about it all the time. It's just such a crazy, just such a strange thing, concept. Do you wanna go on? Okay, who's reading? Pooja, am I reading? Yeah. Work in the room. When you draw a dragon, inking in the pupils brings the dragon to life. Once Jing Xing said about a conversation with one of his students, one drop is just black ink, two drops and a dragon is born. <clears throat> Work in the room is a meeting between student and teacher essential to formal koan study. Though the style has varied from school to school and teacher to teacher, work in the room has the simplest of forms. Two people sitting face to face next to an altar in a candlelit room. The koan makes a third presence. This small room is a large field. Traditionally, it was named for the Indian householder, Vimlakirti's 10 by 10 foot chamber, which accommodated multitudes and had portals to other worlds. And speaking of the devil, uh, Vimal, uh, she wrote a book on Vimala Kirti, which I think would be fun to read. And Vimala Kirti was the best lay practitioner ever. 
That was a yeah, it's a very short book. And uh that would be great for for this kind of assignment. this be good. I'm gonna ask Peg if we can do that. Yeah, that's really good. And I think Flint referenced it earlier this year, and it's a really good book. Yeah. Okay, so that's now Trotty, you're reading. Okay, the teacher invites the student into this field and the student's response to the invitation is where the encounter begins. Every meeting is different. Laughter, tears, sitting together in silence, most often the deepest kind of conversation. The teacher believes in the student's awakening three times when the student can't. I've, it feels like the teacher recognizes something very old and dear in me. A participant says, from the other cushion comes the Chinese teacher Huang Long's voice. My only wish is to see you arrive home. Not nice. Mm. How does a teacher know that the, the student has awakened? Well, the other question would be, how does the student know? Well, awakening and awakened are different, aren't they? Like one is a process. Yes. And one is done, if that's okay. cool. Yes. Um, but it's a great question. But supposedly, it's only a teacher that can authenticate an awakening. I believe it said only an awakened teacher can authenticate. And that would make sense. Um, so how do you know when a picture works? Milan. You know, it, it could fulfill all the qualities of a working picture and yet not work, or it could fulfill none of them and work. So it takes a third sense, doesn't it? Yeah, thank you. I think it's Cody. Okay. Did I read? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> okay, where sometimes? Yeah. <clears throat> sometimes a question arises. Though often the question you thought you had right until you sat down isn't it anymore or a delusion, meaning, meaning an idea that tries to substitute itself for reality appears to which the two people might apply the ancient solvent of inquiry. A question makes it fresh and limitless again. Another participant says, sorrow, joy, and the worst news are all welcome. Work in the room is where I first was able to meet the shadows of life and know for sure that this 
was part of me and everyone. As in any meaningful relationship, misunderstandings can arise during work in the room. When they do, neither person should be trying to win an argument. Instead, perhaps approaching the issue together as a real-time dilemma co-op. Okay, when a teacher probes your understanding of a koan, it's because it's useful to discover where things are bright and where they're cloudy. When both people are committed to exploring, discovering, finding a limit or a difficulty is interesting and mistakes can be helpful. The conversation is richer when I don't shy away from my own folly, a participant says. The conversation is richer when I don't shy away from my own folly. If you've come across the idea that koans are primarily for judging you or your insight, please set that idea aside. It will not help you, and it's an insult to the koans. You found your way into an extraordinary circumstance, an ongoing conversation whose subject is your awakening. Maybe stay with that. I just really love the holding the koan as being not this thing one is working with, but that there's this other presence in the room. Mm -hmm. A circumstance. And not to insult it. Yeah, it, it insults something to figure it out. It means that it's it's very small. Yeah, that's true. And that it's and that it's not alive, because figuring something out is putting our finger on it, saying it's this, which. You know. um, D. H. Lawrence wrote something that I can't find, and I read it about um, 50 years ago, but it was about how we take, I, we take experiences and put, make them into a, ideas. And, uh, and ruin them. Hmm. Someday I will find it. Okay, who's reading now? You. This kind of encounter is so central in koan literature and practice because of the insight that awakening happens in relationship. 
In the old story, something someone says becomes a turning word for you. Or, and, or you suddenly see peach blossoms on a mountain path. It's the same in our lives now, though it might be a neon sign or on a foggy night rather than peach blossoms. A particular other becomes unmistakably real, reminding you of who you really are. So, Malin, to answer your question, so this happens in relationship rather than um, independent, independently. Yes, I like that. But Buddha's is then a different story, right? Pardon me? What did you say, Charlie? Sorry. Buddha's, Buddha's is then a different story. What do you mean? Sorry, I don't. Well, for the awakening that he he wasn't as anybody. Mm. Oh. And probably cons may have not existed at that time. Ah, uh, I see. Well, he was with though the his his. The, the five people or so who were making sure he was okay. But I, I don't know that they enlightened him or they were more like protecting him, weren't they? Well, yeah, but it seems like that he probably was also teaching them. I think so. Which they then, you know, uh, along the line later on uh, refused and then they came back. Yeah, and I was reading um, the sutra the other day where um, he doesn't think he'll be able to teach because he doesn't think anyone will be able to get it. And at the end of the sutra, it was very interesting that it wasn't like now I can teach, but now uh, we can all go out and teach. So it seemed that that those those that were around him, he had already taught them. He had already shared his enlightenment with them. And I didn't realize that before this. But the last <laughs> the last line was was about that. I think I might have sent that to you, Trotty. Did you? I don't recall. Well, anyway, I, I just wanted to say: Is this from the Tibetan Sutra? Why don't we read the next paragraph? It's very short, and then we can go to it. Okay. I just okay. have a question in the in the last the last uh, sentence. I do not understand. A particular other becomes unmistakably real, reminding you of who you really are. Can someone explain, please? I think the other is the 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 teacher, the other person in the relationship. That's how I got it. Mm -hmm. Is that how you guys read it? So you see yourself in the other. You become real in the relationship. That's like, like a mirror? Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy. 
I'll read the last paragraph. Okay. Work in the room is a call and response. It's about joining in, speaking up, finding your place in the vivid world. And it can be taken into every moment of life. The room goes along with me, pops up to remind me that I do this work everywhere and have Alice everywhere. And the work is is working with koans, isn't it? Is that how you guys read it? Yeah, the, the whole chapter is about practice mm -hmm. in the room. That's what I take it as, yeah. But maybe it's also sort of the, the way of holding koans and how this is also the way of holding everything. It is... Well, that's really important. I think that's really important, Nandia, that, that life is a koan. You know, there's not just the things that are formal koans. But if life is a koan, koans are human constructs, right? No. <laughs> I don't know, but... Um, I don't know. But what's what's the rest of that, Milan? I mean, the way we the way we take in the entire world, it's it's a human construct. It's uh, coming through our senses and interpreting. Um, so, yes. Um. I won't say anything else. I want to understand. Humans made them up, the koans, but they replicate things that are in the world, our relationships. Hmm. So, so that's not made up, the thing that the koan represents. The koan is like a label of something that's real or that, that we experience. But our relationships are constructs as well. They, they are created. I mean, I don't know. Well, I, I may disagree on that because we may actually form some relationships with people that we don't think that uh, we are interested in or it, it's it's something else yeah but how is that not uh, uh, something that we're building something that we're forging well i i i i just was thinking of uh, a person recently and i was thinking Wow, um, you know, when I met this person, I never thought that I would be close friends. And it, it took quite a few years. I mean, we were friends, friends, but not on the level that um, there was some kind of a connection that um, didn't need any words. 
our constructs or concepts. And this the cons, so now we use them as, uh, as a means to help us along, especially if we have some a partner, teacher, etc., etc. It, it, it is good um, to have that experience. But if you think of some of the cons that we read today, some of it just happened spontaneously because it wasn't it it wasn't something that would be necessarily um, sort of uh, that one could appreciate or have a conversation with with, with the pilgrimage. It was just sort of by chance. Yeah, I I think I understand now how you're. Uh, holding that or interpreting that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. I think it's really important, the this discussion, however it goes. Yeah. Are these yeah, we, made up? Uh, are they all that we um, can experience? All that we, is it the whole business? Certainly, the the language is made up, the, the story, but what what it's representing, mm -hmm. a particular other becomes unmistakably real, reminding you of who you really are. Mm -hmm. So that's not a construct. That's what you're trying to get around. It seems. Perhaps it is an expression of. Mm, trying to convey it in, in words because this is uh, to be used for teaching or familiarizing oneself with the practices. But it may not be exactly like this. Not everybody may uh, perceive it. Besides, may not even take into consideration of expressing it in, in this way. It will be just an experience of uh, maybe partial awakening. Well, can I share the last line of the sutra? Yes. Okay. Just take a second, because I have it bookmarked. Here we go. So Buddha says, this Dhamma that I have obtained is deep, hard to see, hard to realize, peaceful, refined, beyond the scope of conjecture, subtle to be experienced by the wise. But this generation delights in attachment, is excited, <laughs> is excited by attachment, enjoys attachment. For a generation, he's describing the people that his time, and I think this is so amazing because it could be the present day for a generation delighting in attachment excited by attachment enjoying attachment 
This, that, conditionality, and dependent co-arising are hard to see. This state, too, is hard to see. The resolution of all fabrications, the relinquishment of all acquisitions, the ending of craving, dispassion, cessation, unbinding. And if I were to teach the Dhamma, and if others would not understand me, that would be tiresome for me, troublesome for me. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Oh, mm-hmm. God. That is... I want to go to the, the end, which I thought was so good. Yes. Open are the doors to the deathless, to those with ears. The deathless are the, are be, are the people who've gone beyond uh, being reborn and being born, being born and dying. Let them show their conviction. Perceiving trouble, O Brahma, I did not tell people the refined sublime Dhamma. Then Brahma Sahampati, thinking, the Blessed One has given his consent to teach the Dhamma, bowed down to the Blessed One, and circling him on the right, disappeared right there. So is he giving, has given his consent to teach, so he's giving consent to others to teach it, it seems, that he's already conveyed it to a few. Is that how you read it, Trotty? Not knowing. <laughs> oh, this was a beautiful metaphor, too. Um, the blessed man saw beings with little dust in their eyes and those with much, those with keen faculties and those with dull, those with... So this idea that, that somewhere he says, there are those with a little dust in their eyes and they're, they're, they might get it. This is nice. Throw open the door to the deathless. Let them hear the Dhamma realized by the stainless one. I love that, the stainless one. Why do they must have the dust in the eyes? Wait, I didn't hear. Sorry. Why? Yeah, why does do someone have to have the dust in the eyes? Those are the beings who are not not yet at a place to understand the Dhamma, the people with the dust in their eyes. Thank you. And some people have a little dust and some have a lot of dust. This is where you are on the path, you know. Being able to see clearly. How dusty are you? Like cataracts. <laughs> Maybe it was cataracts. <laughs> That's funny. Well, should we end until next week? Yeah. Can you put the link in the that of that uh, what you shared in the chat? Oh, yes, sure. I like your empty bookshelf, Trouty. <laughs> what I don't understand, Trouty, is how they how they got through the door. But that's not a problem. 
There was once one problem. No, it is the boxes. They are everywhere. I can imagine. And I, <laughs> you I have no room, you and I cannot, I cannot unpack them. You, you had a few uh, books, Trotty. Uh, pardon me? You had a few books. Yeah. <laughs> Did you recently move? Yes, yesterday, after three days. Well, I mean, the process started much earlier, but the real grind was like, I don't know how many hours. Yesterday it was from 8.30, uh, the, the work itself, not getting somewhere, um, till close to 7 o'clock uh, in the evening. Mm -hmm. Non-stop, 20 minutes, uh, at least the guys. How many, how many guys? I mean, are... Uh, yeah, well, they were originally they had two for the packing, and it did not help that I sent photos and told them that I have lots of books. So then, when the first crew came, uh, they said, "Well, we'll, we'll call for another one to help," and and we called for another truck. <laughs> I see. Well, anyway, so, uh, but yesterday in the afternoon, they needed, to, they really wanted to finish, and me too. So um, they had five guys. And I had my helper too. And, and she, well, I mean, I, I said, the garage is the last place that you fill up. But they brought all the box, boxes inside. And they brought to the bedroom upstairs, they, they, they brought not only uh, bedroom things, bedding and stuff like that, they brought the entertainers station, station and I don't know, a few other things that I thought, they, they wrote something on the, on the box that they packed and then they take it to the wrong place. And it's almost in every room. Well, anyway, I cannot do it myself either. So. Uh, but yeah, it is all now here, uh, except some of the things that I will uh, donate and also, um, yeah, there, there will be things that I will have to just get rid of. But after 26 years and for two people being academics, so, you know, and everybody was always said, oh, these books. I cannot hear it anymore. So, so I shouted actually, "Stop did, it!" And they stopped. Did they wrap up? Did they wrap up each book individually? No, 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 no. They were very fast. Well, I was under. I thought they'd wrap up everyone in tissue paper. No, but then at the end, one of them said, "I have learned so much about India just looking at you." <laughs> That's funny. Little, yeah, it was. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. Hey, who found the, th the thing about. Yes, did, who found this? What? Yes, that's wonderful. What are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> and um, I see. <laughs> I don't see anything. This, this was it, Jess. I just wrote in the chat about what D.H. Lawrence wrote. The world. I, don't see, I didn't get anything in the chat. 
Yeah, I just sent it to Kim because oh, I that's why. That oh, I'm going to send it to everyone. It's beautiful. Just a second. It is hard to hear a new voice as hard as it is to listen to an unknown language. We just don't listen. There is a new voice in the old American classics. The world has declined to hear it and has babbled about children's stories. Why? Out of fear. The world fears a new experience more than fears anything. Because a new experience displaces so many old experiences. And it's like trying to use muscles that have never, that have perhaps never been used. And that, or that have been, been going stiff for ages. It hurts horribly. Then this is the part I remember. The world doesn't fear a new idea. It can pigeonhole any idea, but it can't pigeonhole a real new experience. It can only dodge. The world is a great dodger and the Americans the greatest because they dodge their own very selves. Mm. A true inner experience changes us and human beings do not like to change. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you. Okay, see you all. Okay. Have, have a great whenever, whatever. <laughs> Thanks, Please. bye. Thank you, thank you, bye. Bye.